Hey, this is Jace Lewis from Essential The Watchers, all the way from Wales, and you're listening to Interview Under Fire. All right, everyone, Sunny back here with another new episode of Interview Under Fire. Jace Lewis, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining our podcast today on IUF. A big time of the year for you and the guys over at Ascension of the Watchers with the release of your brand new, long-awaited studio album, Apocrypha, which comes out October 9th on Dissonance Records. You know, first off, congratulations on all of the well-deserved recognition it's been getting so far. But before we get to all that, I'm going to ask a very important question to start things off, okay? It's a very simple question, but I think it's an important one to ask for the last six months. How are you? <laughs> you know, how have how has life been for you and the guys? And how's how's life in Wales right now for you? Well, I'm alive, so that's a good start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, we are living in uh, a pretty insane time right now. 2020 and this whole pandemic has... It's taken the world by storm, I think, and, and um, you know, I, I think, uh, regretfully, you know, there's been a lot of bad stuff that's gone on with it, but it's given birth to a lot of music, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 in fact, I think it's kind of brought everybody together that much more, you know. Um, this is a, a new unknown, um, you know, type of life and living that we're having to go through right now, so... Um, and I couldn't think of a better sounding album than our Apocrypha album. Uh, we've had said to us a number of times that Apocrypha sounds like the album for 2020, you know? Um, and it, so, uh, yeah, it definitely sounds like the time we're in. You know, I'm going to ask, follow up on that. Being away from the stage a lot as of late for you, how are you keeping up your vocals, drumming, guitar chops, instru instrumentations these days? Is that affecting your musicianship? Has anything changed for your routine wise lately if at all no because, uh, i would say in the last four or five years i've been more or less doing production you know it's been producing and, and all of that um you know my life uh, since i was the age of 18 has just been 100 mile an hour so you know i'm i'm getting a little older and a, a little less wiser and uh uh, you know, I've just been sort of taking a bit of a backseat, literally in the production chair. So it's been nice for me to do stuff behind the scenes. And this Apocrypha album was was something I very much enjoyed getting involved with and um, and producing. You know, it was yeah, it was, it was good fun. Does this, you know, does this pandemic? Now that you're home, we're talking about you know the things that you're busy with. Does it open up new things for you personally and artistically that you may have not noticed before about yourself? No, I to be honest with you, it's uh, it's almost like saying to everybody else, "Welcome to my world." You know, um, I am probably the most boring person ever. Really, I, I don't really. Uh, I'm that very... is a lie. <laughs> well, I wish it was, but it's, I'm a very routined creature. You know, I I wake up, I eat the same food in the morning. I I go to my studio. I work. I go home. You know, um, and uh, you know, a lot of my friends and Burton famously know that i eat one dish it's a, a curry called an indian curry called merg macaroni and i've been eating that for nearly 18 years every week i know what that is so i'm from bangladesh by the way so it's uh it's oh. kind of like a it's the traditional yeah. thing that that we're accustomed yeah. to that's awesome yeah. i love that it's great isn't it 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's their own. It's their own. It's all prepared fresh in the morning, and it's award-winning for the, for the Corkholmer Manor, which is where my studio is uh, located. Um, but I'm very, I'm very routine. So uh, this lockdown, isolation, whatever you want to call it, is kind of kind of an everyday event for me, really. <laughs> Speaking of an everyday event, you know, you've been at this industry for nearly twenty years. I want to ask, you know, you've worked with a lot of my favorite bands, you know, how was the touring life for you personally? Because aside from your solo projects, you played on, you know, VH1 tour, Sonosphere Festival, uh, SOS Festival, Bloodstock, Rock in India. You've worked with Gary Newman, Korn, Killing Joke, Backstreet Boys. You played with them, you know, traveled to Dubai, India, Germany. I want to ask, what was your favorite part about touring? Because now you're kind of taking like an unseen step back. And does it make you have a growing appreciation of the touring life? Because we're talking, there's culture, there's fans, even the food. There's so many things to pick about, about what makes touring amazing. What was your biggest takeaway about it? What was your favorite thing about it? Um, I think mainly the travel. I was always fascinated with touring, just, just how much that you compose a song you know, in, 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 in my kitchen or in my bedroom or whatever. And then all of a sudden it, it takes me to a country very far away and plots, plots me deep within a culture that I would never have thought of ever going to. And just that, that universal connection, you know, we speak different languages, you know, with from different backgrounds but yet we would have this common ground of understanding and appreciation for art and that's always fascinated me and so touring has always has always been that for me a fascination and it's always made me think you know where the hell am i ending up now and um but you know meeting people that you know I'm, i'm just fascinated with just how many people i've met over the years now and through touring at all walks of life from many different levels and backgrounds. And uh, I don't think anything else would allow you to do that. Touring is a very liberating, very free kind of thing, but yet connects you with people you would n- probably never, ever meet in your life. Incredible. Man, that's, uh, I mean, you couldn't have summed it up any better. So a very popular topic on my show for the last six months, and you, you've seen this, we've all seen this, live streaming you just talked about the touring experience and a lot of bands you know you know code orange they're one of the first bands to do the live streaming thing i think it was two days after the pandemic announced they did the i don't know if you saw it they did the they did the show in the empty venue and they broadcasted for the fans we've had bands like insomnium on here i want to ask you being on the road as long as you have do you think the quarantine induced live streaming surge we're seeing right now is that going to affect the touring musician business going forward do you still see bands doing this even after all this is over? I think it's probably the best alternative um, because you can't, you can't, you know, you can't really uh, replace that live feeling. You know, I mean, listening to a show live streamed through your phone or through a, a PC speaker is just, you know, or through your laptop, it's just not the, the same. Um, you know, it's it's the only thing that anybody can do to a um, stay relevant and b to uh, try and give the fans at least something. Um, you know, and I'm really glad to see that it's caught on. You know, I mean, I think our 
our industry, you know, the music industry, the the entertainment industry is at a probably the most it's probably the the most suffered industry now out of all of this because you can't congregate in groups. So um, this is probably the best alternative I think for now. But I I I think it, you know it might it might live on for a little while, but you just can't beat you know the smell of a show, the the, the sound. You know, I mean I, I mean my own solo shows. You know, the the bass would be so much that the jelly of your eyes would shake. You know, <laughs> I mean, you're not going to get that through a phone. Um, I mean, I have the liberty to mosh in my own room if I want, which is which is fine. But of course, it's different if I see Jace Lewis in front of me, like right now, as opposed to seeing on screen. Which, who knows how long that's going to last? I'll tell you what I did though. Two weeks ago, I don't know if you saw this. Metallica did the whole live streaming for the North America. Mm-hmm. I went to that mm-hmm. show here in Dallas. It sold out. Sold out immediately. And the entire experience, which is, I'll take it for what I got. The entire experience has made me sad in the end because it made me miss the whole live experience even more, which was great. You know, usually, usually what happens when you're on stage at a metal show? Oh, let me see your horns. This show, it was, yeah, let let me hear you honk your horns. (laughs) So all the cars that were parked, we were just honking our horns after every, after every song. So it just sounded weird, but I mean, we'll we'll take it for what we got. So, as far yeah. as live streaming, you're talking about it, you know. I think it's the next best thing. You know, it's uh, very testing times. You know, and and uh, you know, at, at least there's that. You know, I think we we got the the internet to thank for that. I mean, imagine if we didn't have anything like that, it would be it would be very um, it'd be quite a bleak thing for music. I think. Hey, Apocrypha, you know, it's the perfect soundtrack for what we're in right now. I know we already covered a lot of topics. I promise we'll get to the album right now. This is the third album for Ascension of the Watchers. Now, Apocrypha has been a decade-long journey of writing and recording from California to Pennsylvania to New York, even to Wales, where you are. Now, I know you joined Ascension of the Watchers a little further into the band's timeline. How Mm. close is your sound to the sound you had in mind when you first started with the band? Did it develop into what it is today? Did you already know what you were getting into? And if you, well, before you answer, you can also combine that, your relationship with Burton Bell, because I know he has a big impact on you as well. Yeah, um, well, bringing my sound to it, I mean, there's, there's two tracks that I really was involved with right from the start, right from the beginnings, and that was Ghost Heart, and The End is Always the Beginning. A lot of my synth work is on that, um, you know, that dialing tone sound of Ghost Heart was something that I actually did while Burton went for a shit on the toilet. You know, he disappeared. And by the time he came back, I said, I've got an idea. And I played it to him. And he was like, oh, my God, I was thinking the same thing <laughs> uh, while taking a dump. So that was pretty, uh, it says a lot about that sound. Um, but Anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> most certainly does in our world um but yeah it's um i would say that those two tracks i brought my sound to the center ground of, of that where everything else burton pretty much had written uh quite a bit before um you know and maybe there was one or two other songs that just had a piano or just had a bass line um but um i would say probably the the, the greatest thing for this album is the fact that i have followed burton's work for many years um and i probably know his voice better than 
than he does. And, and it's something that we often laugh about. So I had the opportunity to be fortunate to be brutally honest about bringing back a certain sound of his that I had missed for many, many years. Um, and th that was this goth, really baritone goth voice that Burton uh, had sort of come away from um, and to my complete astonishment had been actually told to step away from doing that vocal style because a band called Linkin Park had come out at the time uh, and Fear Factory were doing Digimortal and so they were trying to get Burton to, to sing a little bit like Chester, um, that higher range. And when you're doing things like that, you're just taking somebody that sits very comfortably in that pocket of baritone. Um, you're taking them right out of that. And that's where auto-tune and all these other post-production cheat things start to come in. And he no longer sounds the same as he did. And I know that people were... You know, kind of. I, I, I'm. I've been very aware of, of of certain comments here and there. Of, oh, he, you know, he's not the same singer, clean wise, and all of this. And, um, you know, we would like to. We miss that that era of Burton. So, I was lucky to be able to bring that back and be brutally honest. And we had a conversation, and it was like blowing dust off old pipes. You know, like. It was starting to croak through when we got him to to go back down to that registry, and uh, when it when it started kicking in, he was he was just on fire, and that's why in in Ghost Heart and and all the other songs and the choruses, you hear that really that very famous sort of baritone howl of Burton's. Yeah, his um, trademark, I guess. Trademark. And I've never understood that in the business, you know, funny enough, me and Burton were talking about this this afternoon, you know, record labels and producers or, or even band members. Yeah. You know, that thing you do that's really good that everybody knows. Yep. Stop doing that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what, and that's how we, and the further the, the chronologically, the further that the whole play out of Fear Factory's albums have gone, the more he's tried to hit these big high notes and uh, it just takes him out of his context, really, you know. And, and so we've gone right back. We reminisced on projects like GZR that he did with Geezer Butler. Yep. Um, where that goth sound of his was all over that. And uh, Demanufacture and parts of Obsolete got him right back on track. And, man, he was on, he was on fire on this album. On fire, you know. And for my listeners who don't know, Burton Bell, you know, vocalist for Fear Factory, one of my most influential bands, and a D manufacturer's all the way up there. So, Ascension of the Watchers, third album coming out, you know, October 9th, Apocrypha on Dissonance Records. Jace, everything you mentioned, everything you just talked about, it almost feels like Ascension of the Watchers kind of just tapped into a different dimension of you and Burton that you didn't even know was there, I would think. That's a good. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you're talking yeah, about the different. You're talking about the different parts on how to become. You're all I mean, as a person, as an artist. You know, we're both in the industry. We're always trying to be a better person. That you know, 
than the day before, you know, the next day, the next day we're building. I feel like Ascension of the Watchers, when I heard that album, especially that intro that you're talking about, I had no idea, which is amazing. That makes it even better now. I'm going to have to put that on after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when I'm on, when I'm on the shit, who knows? We'll see, see how, how you guys made it happen. But, but yeah, it, it does feel like it, it, it pushed you guys to become a better musician. Like, and that's what it, that's what I meant. Like tapping into a whole different part of yourselves that you didn't even know was there. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, first and foremost, our respect for one another, our camaraderie was, um, was unquestioned, you know, and, and we have had for many years, a, a great relationship as, as good friends. And we've become, you know, best friends now. I mean, we speak every day. Um, but uh, I just felt, and it's it's natural, you know. He's thirty years in the industry, you know, and and as a as a true professional, you know, he's the real deal. And um, I just felt that, you know, I I had that privilege and 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 real, real honest friendship and real respect where I could I could, you know, say, look, man, there's not going to be any cheats here i want to i want to get back to what you started as and what what everything began as you know and uh, and in that way i pushed him and he pushed me and it, it was like building blocks you know and that's why the album sounds the way it does it's probably very few albums that get released these days that are very sincere and i mean sincere writing musicianship vision journey a lot of music's just it's like a it's like a box of Pringles now. It's it's, it's so <laughs> disposable, you know. Um, and yeah. We didn't want that. something that was very well thought out. And Burton's about that all day, and John Bechtel, of course, who's on keyboards. Some of the stuff he did synth-wise was just unreal. <laughs> it blew me you away. Know, speaking of the sound, this was produced by you at Northstone Studios up in South Wales, wasn't it? It was. Yes. So. Yeah, that that that's that's awesome. You know, is there a level of convenience knowing that you had the freedom to make the album sound like the way you wanted to? Oh yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I want. I've. I missed the albums. I loved the sound of such as Metallica's Black Album, that very spacious, um, clean, detailed, and exciting sound you know that snares cutting through and i i missed that um burn my eyes by machine head um, oh great album that's that's throwing it way back oh yeah yeah ramstein's mutter album and uh, and anything that the deftones do is like diamond eyes and um i can't remember the other album they've done koi uh, koi no yoken yeah that album is phenomenal so those were my sort of ballparks for what i wanted and they're all very very moving mixes and great ambience pulling on the drum ambience and all of that i wanted to use that as a as a base and try and sort of throw this in that ballpark um so and i, I told bert that's what i was going to do and that's what i was aiming to do and he was like make it happen um and he did, you know, he, met, he let me, let me do it. And it took me about between four and six months to mix. Yeah. The whole so between writing, structuring the songs, or even the production process that you had with Burton and John, 
you know, Jace, I want to ask you, you know, being the person that you are, the talents that you have, what challenges did you face this time around that you may have not faced with any of your previous work? Now, before you answer that previous work, I mean, you've done a documentary you call The Force's Mouth with Prowse. You've done Million Part One and Two, your self-titled Nemesis. I know it's a it's a bag it's a, it's a, it's a loaded question, but there's just so much work you had before working on Ascension of the Watchers. What stood out the most about this? What stood the most about Apocrypha that you can pick out? Uh, getting Burton back on track vocally, getting that that you know his old sound back. That that for me will always be the the top thing. Um, and the both of us working together up alongside that. Um, but uh, I think the most exciting thing about it is coming in one side with an idea and coming out the other with this album that just sounds, I, I think, I like to think it sounds quite epic, you know. Um, and so far, all the feedback that we've had on it has been so positive and, and mind-blowing. And uh, and. I'm talking about doing the next one with him. I enjoyed this one so much. You know, in two years' time, we're going to be looking at doing another album. I've, I'm already speaking to Warner about Man, it. Man, I okay, I, I'm your biggest endorser here. I'm, I absolutely <laughs> love this record. So when you're talking two years, that's definitely better than 12. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we want, you know, I think, and I, I can speak for Burton on this, we've both had an enjoyment making this album, both as musicians and as friends, and the same with John. Though we haven't had for a very long time, I know Burton more so than me because he's been a professional longer than I have. But we had such a vibe and the coming togethers of ideas and and when I stayed with Burton in LA, you know, we were we grabbed the guitars and we were playing and and uh, it's just been it's just it's the real deal. It's a real passion thing, and it's um. It it just feels totally legit in every in every context you can imagine. I met Burton five years ago when Fear Factory was here in Dallas, and the only thing we talked about was movies. <laughs> so uh, you, yeah. you know, it's it's very it's very it's fitting that it's that's what he's talking about because in another interview recently, Burton I can't remember which what it was, but uh, Burton said that every song on Apocrypha stood out by itself, and I heard that. As I was hearing the album, yeah, he's exactly right. This new album, he also said it was more alive. It was full. It was cinematic. And Burton has been wanting and dreaming about this sound for years. So, you know, Jace, you know, I want to ask, is there a theme to this album? To what and like what to, to what level do you like to have a theme for your records? How important are themes to you guys? Is that more about helping you guys write or sound, or is that more for the audience? Because a lot of artists, they don't really care about themes. They just do 10 songs in the studio and that's it, which is fine. They can do that. But I feel like you guys had a specific road to get to where you wanted to get with that. I, th I think the most exciting thing about, I think the most exciting thing about this was just the coming together of, of minds, really. I mean, I would, I would play Burton... Um, I would play Burton song, some bands that I like, such as Reichsop, john hopkins real electro soundscape uh sort of tracks and then burton would play me a few things well in fact he got me to what i mean i i had i'd never seen blade runner before and, he, and i watched it with him in my house i mean he nearly he nearly strung me up when he found out that i'd never seen it but while i was watching it 
it was as though it was as though I was sat in the making of demanufacture or something because <laughs> I could see, you know Burton's well he was actually sat right here and we're watching it in my in, you know in my house and and we're just I'm like replica replicant what the hell wow and as well it was like it, for me everything was coming out of it and uh, I'm like right this is where you all got it from so the amazing thing is is not far from here is a place called Portalbert. Um, it's where Anthony Hopkins is from, Michael Sheen. We've got a place called um, the Steelworks. And um, so uh, who is the director of, uh, of um, Blade Runner? Was it Ridley? Oh, Ridley? Um, um, no. Uh, see, I'm thinking 20, 2049 is, is Denny Villanueva. That's but that's he. It was that was twenty forty nine. I'm talking Blade Runner. Here we go. Here we go. We're, gonna, <laughs> we're gonna have we're gonna have to Google this. <laughs> Hold on a second. Blade Runner. I can't believe I'm, the movie's sitting right there on my shelf. I can't believe this. This always happens when you know right in the back of your head and it's not there when you actually need it. It, it is. Um, yeah, really, Scott. Really, Scott. So, so there. So f about ten miles away is a place called Port Talbot. And in there is an enormous industrial business called the Port Talbot Steelworks. Um, it used to be British steel. Ridley Scott had visited Port Talbot and got the concept of the, the whole city and landscape colors and the way it looks from this place, this, this steel plant. So I wow. took Burton there. And as soon as we drove up to it after watching Blade Runner, cause I'd heard the, the, uh, the myth, which is true. I found out it's absolutely true. I took Burton there and he was just like, oh my God, I am in Blade Runner. So not only did I get into his world of watching it and understanding what influenced demanufacture and, and parts of obsolete, but also Gary Newman. So then I was able to take Burton to Patalbot and see where it was actually born. And uh, all of that happened in, in one, one night. I'm getting goosebumps as you're telling me. So Blade Runner is one of my top favorite movies of all time. It's so funny how we couldn't even think of the director. It always happens. But have you seen 2049? I'm curious. I have. I have. I loved it, actually. My goodness gracious. Like, you're talking about a sequel of sequels. That was probably the loudest movie I've ever seen in theaters when it first came out. But anyway, that's a whole different discussion by itself. Yeah. But it, it, I love how it this and Apocrypha and Fear Factory, you, Burton, that's crazy, man. That ties in all together. Yeah. Well, it, a, a lot of things happened here, and uh, yeah, I, yeah. This album is is um, the more I think about it. Even speaking to you, I'm 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 remembering certain things about it all, and it, it's really quite quite special. I mean, what you're hearing is uh, in this album is is qu quite a moment, really, of of a lot of people coming together you know so it would be fair to say that apocrypha is a snapshot of where you are at a certain time in your life when looking back on it oh yeah absolutely yeah and you know burton was going through some some mad stuff as well at the same time in his life so this was a real very therapeutic and, and almost like a therapy almost for him to get a lot out and we really harnessed it well within the record you know so the album is is it means so many things to to all of us um and 
and it seems everybody seems to be joining in on that, you know, and, and loving how it sounds. You know, between Ascension of the Watchers, your solo experience as an artist, working with Gary Newman, Steve Strange, David Prowse, so many people you've been, you know, you know, collaborating with. Have your aspirations as a person or a band, have they changed or evolved since when you first started in the industry? Do you see things differently now? That's a very good question. I tell you, actually, because um, this was my old family home, which I've since bought. Um, I used to have a paper round. Uh, and uh, it's it's just one big hill. It goes from the bottom of Kenfick Hill up to the top of Kevin Cribber, a place called Kevin Cribber. I have, in the last year, I've been walking up and down that late at night with music playing the, the Apocrypha album. And when I was, because I did the, the paper round from the age of 12 up till 16, and I had all these dreams and aspirations walking up and down that hill every morning, 5 a.m. And now I'm walking up there having done things I can't even believe I've done. And I'm at the top of this hill at night, and it's a clear night, and I'll, I'll just stand there just thinking, my God, I've done it all. You know, um, I've done it all, and I'm still doing it, and I'm doing it with people I admire, respect, and uh, and it's it's pretty insane, you know. You, um, you know what's amazing about? I don't mean to interrupt you there, but you know what's amazing about what you just told me. You guys have a way with storytelling. I don't know how you do it. I don't care how you do it because it's huh. it's it's second to none. Because what you just told me, that story about you going up the hill. I've already made an illustration in my head of you going yeah. up there with, I don't know, like a bleak background of like storms in the, in the background and you're just standing up on the hill. But I, I, I'm tying that into your experience, your friendship with Burton, mm -hmm. your production with Apocrypha, just everything you've done. I mean, David Prowse, I mean, who, if, if not a bigger influence, you've already had that person, you know, yeah. with. And I, I, like just that just summed up everything that you've just experienced. So, Anyway, I, I wanted to put that out there because that's that shows how far you've gotten into your career. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, I think it's good sometimes to try and ground yourself, you know, and and try and uh, you know, and 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 it's like a checkpoint. I'm almost like looking back and checking, you know, am I still where I thought I would be, and um, and where I actually am is uh, a lot further than I, I um, than I thought. I wouldn't liken myself to be. A success story but i would definitely say I'm, i've accomplished m more than i ever thought i would uh and uh and yeah this this apoc this apocrypha album and doing it with john and burton for me is um is it's one of these it's one of those big chapters now and i'm ready for this next chapter of my life and and and, and so is burton so is john let me ask you this if if you weren't a musician what would you be doing right now <laughs> Thinking about being a musician, I think <laughs> uh, I would be a welder because uh, that was my. I was I was doing engineering, um, you know. I was uh, like a fabricator, welder, coded welder. So I was doing little sort of bits and pieces, working on aircraft as well, um, like aircraft uh, fuel awesome. tanks and things. We'd be doing that. Um, so I was doing that, and that was kind of creative, but it was it was a job that I just did for money. But my heart was always music. 
and uh and so as soon as i had the chance um to get signed which was with emi in 2009 i just dropped tools and off i went i was gone and i haven't looked back since what advice would you have for someone following to following your footsteps the advice i would have is stay true to yourself which funny enough i can't <laughs> It's something that Mark Hamill tell, told me. <laughs> Stay true There's to yourself. There's a picture of me and Mark on the wall right there. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. That, this is no, crazy. That guy is a, that guy is a legend. Um, he seems like he's I, a kid when you see when you meet him, right? Like he, he doesn't even look like his age. When you see him in person, you talk to him, he just reminds you of who you are as a kid. It's like you could just gel right there. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, I like I've just said it to you as I was saying it. I'm like, where have I heard that before? And it was it was Mark Hamill that said it to me, um, because he was so impressed with what me and Dave were doing together. Um, but my advice would be, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. So many people just want that, you know. Every you've got to be careful about doing it for narcissistic reasons or to be validated, and you've got to do it for the love of doing music love of being creative because if you if you just want to be a popular person i mean it's gonna it's gonna show through and that's a world of hurt for quite a long time Man. um but yeah, uh, go, ahead, go ahead but do it do it for that you know do it for for the right reasons be true to yourself do it for the right reasons and just stay keep your eye on the finishing line not on the hurdle and you'll get yeah. there yeah jace we've covered pretty much everything and uh this has been one of my favorite discussions ever obviously i'm going to bring you guys back on the show this has been amazing we could talk about literally anything it could be for like hours and hours so i want to ask you know i'm going to finish off with this it's a fun question and i want you to think of like really quick how fast you can think five albums you can think of at the top of your head oh my god metallica black album mudvane ld50 do you manufacture obsolete that's Mike, four. Mike Oldfield of Sound of uh, Sound of Spheres, Planets and Spheres, and Therapy Troublegum. I have not heard the last one actually. Yeah, now over that side of the world, they might not be so known, but I've become good friends with the drummer um, Neil. But is a band called Therapy. They brought out an amazing album called Trouble Gum in 1994. There it is. Trouble Gum. Okay. Check it out. I will definitely check that out. That that definitely uh, it has a nice ring to it, actually. I'm very, very intrigued to hear about that. Man, Jace, uh, do you have any last words you want to say? Any shout-outs, any plugs, anything you want to mention before we finish things off here? Just everybody, you know, keep an open mind. Stick with the you know, it is a journey right from start to finish. This was a, a you know, a, a 78 cent single purchase. This is a full album purchase right from the beginning all the way to the end. And uh, it will take you away. And in a world that at the end of it, you'll just think, what the hell? So stick with it. Apocrypha. Please support. Hey, the and, and for my listeners, if, it, if you guys don't believe Jace, I don't know what to tell you because... I mean, I'll agree with them right there. And please support these guys. Artists need more help than ever these days. And they they can't do what they want to do without your help. 
you know, it's it doesn't work without the fans. So everyone who's listening, you know, Ascension of the Watchers, Apocrypha comes out October 9th on Dissonance Records. Again, please purchase the album and you can listen to this podcast on all streams, Spotify, Apple, any stream you have. Jace Lewis, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. You be safe out there, brother, and we'll do this again sometime, man. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be good to do it again. Thank you so much. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our channel. It would be greatly appreciated. And we look forward to bringing more guests onto our podcast. And if you have any suggestions on who we should bring next or in the future, please let us know. You can find us at Interview Under Fire's Facebook or Instagram, or you can reach me directly at schwag at interviewunderfire.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-G at Interview Under Fire.